Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. We're going to continue our series, Eat the Scroll, and uh, this is uh, my second part of Eat the Scroll. Pastor Steve, how many enjoyed Pastor Steve last Sunday? Amazing. Uh, great word on the Word of God, uh, on, on how important the Bible is uh, in, in our lives. And uh, to, to date, that is our number one uh, viewed message uh, through Facebook. His message last week has been shared all over, thousands and thousands of views uh, as people have just eaten that thing up, literally eaten the scroll and, uh, and passed it on, uh, which is so neat to see. And uh, today we're going to jump in. Uh, let me read Ezekiel chapter 3 to you. This has been our text for the series. This is Eat the Scroll, uh, part two. Uh, this is our Father's Day edition. Exodus chapter three, uh, verse one, it says, And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll. I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. Now, this has been a text for, for our series when God speaks to Ezekiel and he tells him to eat the scroll. And, and, and he tells him he is going to be a prophet. Ezekiel is going to be a prophet. You're going to speak for me. And this, this, the problem is God oftentimes gives us an assignment uh, that is bigger than our current capability. That, that's how God stretches us. That's how God grows us. If, if you're comfortable, you're probably not growing. So, so it's okay. It, it, it's okay to be stretched. It's okay to be uncomfortable. And God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to stretch you because I have something greater for you. So he says, I want you to eat this. And then he says, after you've eaten it, then I want you to go and I want you to speak, which means that God gave him what he needed to accomplish the assignment that was on his life. And this is how God works. That whatever God asks of you, he first gives to you. And when you consume what God's given you, it will equip you for the assignment that he has for your life. And this is what we've been talking about when we're talking about the word of God, that we as families, as men of God, as women of God, as fathers, we have to eat the scroll of God's word. We've got to digest it. We've got to consume it. We've got to get it into us. Last, a couple weeks ago, we talked uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3 in our first part, chapter 16 and 17. I want to just refresh you on it. It says all scripture, and we talked about this word all throughout the day. All means all. A-L-L. It, it's all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Not only is all scripture God-breathed, but all scripture is useful. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that, there's a reason, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how are you thoroughly equipped for every good work? It is by the word of God. It is by this word that is alive. It is by this word that is the very voice, very expression, very heart of God to us. We talked about the, the authenticity of the word. And let me just give you a little refresher on this. The Bible was written as 66 books, written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years in three different languages, three different continents, written on ships, in prisons, in every stage of life, and with one star, one central theme, one star character, and the same redemptive theme throughout. That is the Word of God. That's amazing right there. I mean, that's, that's enough to say, 
wow, this is pretty convincing. Amen. It was written over a course of 1,600 years, but still, still has, with 66 books and 40 different authors, it still has a redemptive theme throughout the entire scripture. Next Sunday, I can't wait to preach, we're going to talk about Jesus in every single book of the Bible, all 66 books, and we're going to do it in 35 minutes. It's, it's, going, to, it's, it's going to be fast. Now today, we're going to talk about uh, one, one of the uh, really fundamental texts uh, in the Word of God in the Old Testament, and this was originally an instruction to fathers, okay? So we're going to the Old Testament, we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read uh, probably all the way through verse 9. In verse 1, it says, These are the commands the decrees and the laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, now listen to this, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and his commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now listen to this. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is a commandment, this is a decree to fathers in how they should educate their children. And so on Father's Day, we're going to talk about this. We're going to continue this Eat the Scroll series by talking about the, the words command to fathers in how they should teach their children and how they should pass on the elements and the teachings of the Word of God from generation to generation. I was picking up Jude from school, and um, him and Genesis, they both did like a little Father's Day project in preschool, and, and so, so it's like a little bow tie, you know, or a tie that they made, paper tie, and they wrote on it, and so, so he, I got it, and he said, Dad, put it on, put it on, you know, so I put on the paper tie, and, and it says, my dad is my superhero because, and it says, my dad's my superhero because he goes to work. And he takes me to the rainbow park. So I took that as a personal challenge that I've got to really up my dad game. So I, I'm known for going to work and for taking him to the rainbow park. And so we're going to change parks and we're going to teach him some other things. I mean, I just, I don't know. And, but but I, I will say this, it is a father's responsibility to impress on their children not just having a good life, not just being a moral person, but to pass on the elements of the Word of God. And I've been so challenged by this as I've even studied this text, is we talk a lot about how to be great parents. I mean, we talk about how to do this and do this and have patience and, and do this, and all these are biblical, have biblical themes and, and, and biblical insights in them. But you, did you know that the greatest responsibility of a father is not to raise a good kid, but to pass on the elements of God's Word into their hearts? 
That was what was taught in scripture is that the number one goal of the father was to get the word of God from them into their children. In, in this uh, verse, in, in verse 6, it says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. That word impress is a Hebrew word, shanan, and it means to sharpen like you would sharpen a sword. It says, when I'm talking about impressing the word on their hearts, the visual, and the Hebrew language is very visual, the, the, the picture is a warrior sharpening his sword. He says, uh, when, I, when, I, when I want you to impress these, the words on your children, I want you to see it as sharpening them. I'm, I'm sharpening them. I'm, I sharpen them by training. To sharpen a sword, you sharpen it by repetition. It, it, it is not just a week or a day or a dinner or a vacation. It is repetition. And if you're going to train your children, it has to be through consistency and through repetition. We have to teach them diligently. The, 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 the instructions to fathers in those days was to ap actually set their course like you would set a compass. You would set directions on a map. I want, I want, to, I want to see my child. I'm going to set their course. I'm going to impress on them the word of God. I'm going to sharpen them. The father's main responsibility is to get the word of God into the next generation. When Woodrow Wilson was president of Princeton University, he spoke these words to a parents group. He said this, I get many letters from you parents about your children. You want to know why we people up here in Princeton can't make more out of them and do more for them. Let me tell you the reason we can't. It may shock you just a little, but I'm not trying to be rude. The reason is that they are your sons, reared in your homes, blood of your blood, bone of your bone. They have absorbed the ideals of your homes. You have formed and you have fashioned them. They are your sons. In those malleable, moldable years of their lives, you have forever left your imprint upon them. He says this as one of his addresses to Princeton, basically saying, it's not my fault your kids are jacked up. It's your fault. He's trying to pass the blame a little bit. We get this with youth ministry sometimes. They say, you know, I don't really understand what you're doing with my child. And it's like, with the 90 minutes a week we have them? Like, do they live at home? Do, I mean, it's like... We're doing our best with 90 minutes, you know, but like, this has got to be a partnership. We've got to work together. We've we, we, we got to move in the same direction. We can complement one another. It's not a youth pastor's job to raise your kids or to teach them about the Lord. It's the father's responsibility to teach the word to the children. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is not a dead book. It is a living Word. The, the, the Word of God is not a storybook or even a history book. It is living and it is active. This is what is said in Hebrews. It says the Word of God is alive. It's, it's alive. Have you, had, have you been reading the Word and something like jumps out to you and speaks specifically to a situation? It's because it is alive. It is alive. It's the very heart 
of God. It is the very voice of God. People say it's the love letter of God straight to us. Did, did you know that your Bible says that when Jesus came to earth in John, it says that when he came to earth, he, the word, took on flesh. Jesus is the word. It says he put on this body, the word put on this body to come and to dwell among us. But he is the word and he is alive and it is active. And it says it can divide soul and spirit. What does that mean? It means that it has the ability to your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It has the ability to cut away from our fleshly logic from what is right. Because I'm going to tell you, your default is not towards righteousness. It, you, you know you can set uh, settings on a phone. You can go back to factory settings or on a computer. You, your default setting is not towards God. Your default setting is towards selfishness, is towards doubt. Do you know, I, I, I was thinking about faith this week. And I uh, th- think about faith in the Word. And I've been talking, having a lot of conversations about the Word of God and how you just believe in the Word. And, and did you know that fear is having faith in something else? Because I can actually have more faith that something bad is going to happen than something good is. It's, it's not an absence of faith. It's faith in the wrong thing. Faith in the Word of God is choosing to believe that this Word is alive and that this Word is active. There's an author, he says, the books of men have their day and then grow obsolete. God's Word is like Himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Time passes over it, but it ages not. Its power is as fresh as if God spake it but yesterday. That is the Word. It is alive. And I've been hearing testimonies already as we've been diving into the Word, how the Word has begun to shape us or has corrected us or has encouraged us, has comforted us. The Word of God is Alive. Now, in, in this text in Deuteronomy, it mentions some different things in different ways that we are supposed to uh, impress or sharpen our children with the Word of God. Now, I'm going to say this, and we're speaking specifically to fathers, but this is applicable to anybody today if you can take the Word and apply it to your life. But in verse 6, it continues and says, talk, talk, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's pretty much everywhere and all the time. So the first way that you can impress the Word of God on your children is to talk about it. Could, could it be that simple to just talk? Yeah, just think about all the things we talk about. The things that we're talking about in the home are forming patterns in our children's life. It's repetition. It's habit. I remember growing up and beginning in sports, and I had a phenomenal baseball coach. He's still coaching baseball to this day. He is a phenomenal baseball coach, and he would always, you know, I always wanted to get to the game. I wanted to skip practice. I wanted to skip the drills. I just want to compete. And and he would always tell me, and he called them the fundies, the fundamentals. He's like, you got to get back to the fundies. You've got to get back to the basics. You just got to, he said, you've got to complete it with repetition so that your muscle memory just reacts automatically. See, a lot of us, Christianity is not an automatic reaction. Godliness is not an automatic reaction. It's something we try to do. It comes from a good heart, from a good place, but we have not given ourselves to the repetition. 
And the repetition is what creates the habit. A lot of times we talk about habits in a negative light, but there is actually a very positive rhythm of a positive habit. And if you can get into a positive habit, the repetition of your life by talking about the Word of God. So when do I talk about it? Well, the Bible says, like, talk about it all the time. When you lie down, when you stand up, when you walk by the road, when you sit down. I mean, it it is everywhere. So practically, you've got to look at how you can apply this to your own life. But in your homes, you need to speak about the Word of God. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. You apply the lens of the Word of God to whatever you do and however you do it. The home is the natural God-given place to communicate and to display the Word of God. Uh, I was speaking to a father uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said he was having a conversation with his daughter. And uh, so they were talking in, in Saturday night, and, and they had, they had a you know, pretty heated conversation. And, and uh, he was telling her some things and, and uh, trying to teach her some things. And, and so they came to church on Sunday morning. They weren't in a great place. And uh, they came in. You know how you come in sometimes. You know, nobody's talking in the car. If you are talking, you're yelling. But as soon as you get out of the car, it's all smiles. That was them. And, and they came in on Sunday morning, and, and we began to teach from the Word of God. But the teaching from the Word of God echoed what he had taught in his home. See, this is, this is when church really begins to work. When we allow the preaching on the, on the platform or the church to be the only voice in your life, then it just becomes this independent moving part. But when it works in cooperation with godly men and godly women, this thing begins to work. And a light came on when what was said from the platform echoed what was said in the home because we're both teaching from the same word, the same manual, the same instruction book. The home is the natural place to communicate and display the word of God. We've got to give ourselves to rep Repetition. What, what is your repetition? What does your habit look like? I remember growing up, and, and, and my dad, uh, he was amazing at this. And This was our morning ritual growing up. We would wake up, and we would come into the living room. And so my dad's an early riser, so we would all wake up early. And so the wake-up call would go through the house. And so we would wake up, and we would all come into the living room with our Bibles. And with our Bibles, we would read uh, the psalm. Whatever day it was, so today's the 18th, we would read Psalm 18, we would plus 30, we would read Psalm 48, plus 30, plus 30, all the way through Psalms, and then we would read Proverbs 18. And we would go around the circle and verse by verse trade off so that we all would take turns communicating the Word of God. Now I'm going to tell you, sometimes, honestly, I hated that. I'm just being real. I'll wake up, and I do not want to read the Bible this morning, Dad. Like, I would like to go back to sleep. I would like some breakfast. I would like to do something else. But what he was doing was sharpening us like a sword. He was giving us to repetition. You know, I never liked, I didn't always like two-a-days in football. But it was for my good. It, it, It was for my development. The repetition was something that shaped me and trained me and equipped me. And I, I could quote to you so many Psalms and so many Proverbs out of memory from simply being in a home where it was talked about. It just was talked about. It was a part of our conversation. You are what you repeatedly do. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Start children off or train children in the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. 
We say, oh, man, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. I'm going to tell you that this starts as young as you can get. This starts as young as possible, training them in the way that they should go. You know what's interesting? And I heard a, 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 I didn't say this. I heard another pastor say this. He says, we put more work into training animals than we do our children. Because we allow our children to discover life and we tell our animals how they should operate. And so we give care to training them and equipping them. But we let our children be whatever they are and then we're mad at them because they don't turn out the way that we want them to. And so he said there has to be a certain amount of care and love that is giving, given to families to say we're going to train, we're going to set these habits from the very beginning to move forward in the way that we should go. We said this earlier, but the default of our life is towards evil and selfishness. So, so some people say, and I hear parents say this all the time, say, well, I'm just going to let my kid just like figure it out. Them figuring it out is a gravitational default pull towards selfishness, towards doubt, and towards anti-Christ. It, it is going against the grain. I was talking with a young man just a little while ago, and he's just like, well, you know, I just want to do what feels natural. You know what feels natural? What felt natural to Adam and Eve. That, that's what feels natural. That's why they did it. It's what felt natural. It was a belief of a lie that moved them into a perspective that pulled them away and made them distant from God. I'm going to tell you, it goes against the grain to believe that the Word is God's inspired Word. It goes against the grain of our culture to believe that this Word is alive. It goes against the grain of our culture to believe that this is true. But I, did, I cannot find anywhere in the writings in this Word or even in the voice of God in, in who he is, his character, where he says, whatever the culture is, just kind of blend with that. This is the manuscript, friends. This is what we have to train our families. We could lose an entire generation by young people believing, well, let's just discover. Disco let's just discover. If you want to discover, you, you ever just, if you want to be an athlete, you don't just discover your talent. You hone your talent. What if you just say, I'm just going to sit on the couch and like see if I become a great basketball player. I just want to find myself. I'm just in the, my broom with Twinkies and Netflix, and I'm just going to see if I can find myself. You're not going to find anything. You, 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 you are going to self-destruct because that is our default unless we adjust ourselves. And this is the context of the, of the scripture that says impress. This is the context of that scripture. He says, you've got you've to set the course. You've got to begin to sharpen. So you have to create a habit. Let me just ask you this. What are you known for talking about? If someone asks you, and let me just ask you specifically dads because it's Father's Day. If people ask you, what does he usually talk about? What is the theme of your life? What, what, is, what is the thing that you would talk about? And I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm thinking, man, I need to talk about the Seahawks a little bit less. Because that's all my son knows. Uh, number two. It says in verse 8, to tie them. To tie them as symbols on your hands and to bind them on your foreheads. Now, this, this is interesting because if you look at this, in, in, in back in the day when this was written in, in, in Jewish culture and custom, they would literally, now they took this literally, they would literally tie the Word of God onto their heads and onto their arms. And they believed that by having the word on their heads and on their arms, it would keep them from thinking what is evil and doing what is evil. 
So this scripture says to tie them as symbols on your heads and bind them on your foreheads. They called them phylacteries. And phylacteries are small leather boxes that contain portions of the law of Moses. The boxes are strapped to the wrist and to a sort of headband so that one literally carries the law of God over his eyes and on his hands. This is how literal they took this. This is how much weight this carried. They said, we're going to strap the word of God on our head. So this is the truth. Like, this is history that they'd be walking through the streets with boxes on their heads. And it was a sign of spirituality. And, and Jesus actually addressed this in the Gospels because people were actually seeing. This is like, this, is, this has been a problem with male. This is Father's Day, so I'm going to just throw a little bit in this. Um, this has been a problem with male culture for a long time. But they would see whose box was bigger. And the later services will get that a little bit better. Uh, so the, they would get like bigger boxes because they wanted to have a bigger box. And, and so then some of them would be literally walking around with huge boxes on their head. We call that overcompensation. And so they, they, they would carry this around. And, and I didn't mean to offend you. I'm, I'll, I, uh, I'm joking. So, uh, they would, I'm sorry. I embarrassed her too. They would carry these boxes around on their heads with the word of God. Now, now, we believe that this is symbolic of the word of God being applied to what we think and what we do. They took it very literally, and I think I really respect the fact that there was weight given to what God asked of them. That they said, we've got to figure out a way to put this, to bind it onto our heads and onto our wrists. But then as studies later show and uh, in science, and I think this is another just kind of odd fact that, that really proves the Bible knows science before science finds out science. But we find this, that the frontal lobe is the latest developed part of your brain. This is the, the part of your brain that makes your cognitive decisions. That's why uh, sometimes when we're younger, we make bad decisions because our frontal lobe has not been developed yet. We are in a, we're unable to make right decisions. It's the prefrontal cortex. And literally, this is the part of the brain that is the, at the foremost of your head. And one of the versions and translations, it talks about the eyelets and the frontlets of your, of your mind. Placing the word on those things. It is a literally placing the word over the part of you that makes decisions. I just want you to see this picture. That before you make a choice, you overlay the word of God onto your decision maker so that your decisions are made through the context of the word of God. We use the Word of God as a suggestion book, but the way that Deuteronomy describes it is that this should be not a suggestion, it should be a filter. That whatever I do should pass through the filter of the Word of God. And that whatever I think or then whatever I do is filtered through the commands that I find in the Word of God. Did you know a lot of things that you teach in good morality are just principles found in the Word of God? So a way to talk about it is to actually know where the, it says it in the Word of God. Instead of telling your kids to be patient, tell them where in the Word of God it says to be patient so they don't just think it's your idea, but they understand that it's God's idea and that the Word of God is alive and allow the God, the Word of God to move in and through them and to draw them closer to God and to move their, their, their decisions from a place where they can understand that we move our lives or we adjust our lives through the filter 
of the Word of God. This means doing things practically to remind you of the Word of God. You ever seen someone put like a rubber band on themselves where they got a bad habit, snap themselves every time they do something? This is, this is the picture of tying the Word on your life wherever if it's to remind you of the promises of God, to remind you of the goodness of God, to remind you of how we should live our lives. So we have to create a habit, but we have to create a system in which for that habit to prosper. And then number three says, write them in verse nine on the door frames of your house and on your gates. This is transcribed. Talk about it, tie them up, and transcribe them. The Jewish tradition uh, in, in, in these days was to actually put scripture on your doorpost. They would have, literally, if you went to a Jewish home uh, that was adhering to this, you would walk to the doorpost, the doorframe, and they would have like a little box inset in the doorframe where they would have certain places of scripture that were rolled up as a scroll and they would be inside the doorframe. Now, I'll tell you this, we used to have these uh, floors in our house that, that they just got, they would get dirty like so easy. It drove me crazy. It actually led me to the point, I actually ripped them all out my brother and I ripped them all out and uh, got rid of them. We do not have wood floors any, anymore. It was just like a bad floor, and it would pick up condensation. It was like something was wrong. And so uh, it, it was really frustrating. And so we would tell everybody, you know, no shoes. Please, no shoes in the house. And, and you could say it as much as you wanted, but there were times that we put out like a little sign. It says, you know, no shoes, please, or please take off your shoes. And it was interesting that when what, something was written like that, you didn't have to say it. And when it was written like that, it was a level of accountability because I couldn't change my mind because it was written. See, a lot of times in our living, our life, is we fluctuate based on things are going well. Things. I've noticed this with my, son, my oldest son, Jude, as I'm training him, as I'm disciplining. When he's being really good, sometimes I let other things slide. Because it's like, man, he's being good. I'll give him a break. Let, let it slide. But when you take what is in your heart and you put it into writing in your home, it becomes consistent. It becomes repetition. It becomes habit. I remember the, uh, years ago, I, was, I think I was still in high school, and, and uh, I just got done with a baseball practice, and I, I, we walked out in the, on the football field. My dad was picking me up. It was just me and my brother and my dad, and uh, it was one of those times that my, you know, we were all challenging each other to do crazy things, and my dad said, I bet you can't hit this golf ball, because we found a golf ball. I bet you can't hit this golf ball with your baseball bat through that goalpost, 110 yards away. And I said, all right, what will you give me if I can do it? He says, I'll give you 100 bucks. It's all right. And so I just threw it up, and through a, um, complete luck, I hit this golf ball 110 yards right through the uprights. Like, it's good. And I'm like, oh, yeah, $100, Dad, let's go. Let's go. And my dad was like, oh, I, I, hey. To this day, he still owes me the $100. I've never forgot it. He's never given it to me. He's going to watch this. He still owes me that $100. You know what I thought later? I should have got it in writing. Right? This is what this is saying. This is don't just, don't just try to live in a direction. Have a creed for your home. Put it into writing. Write it down. Mark it down. This is 
our home. This is what we do. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Write it down. We tell our interns to take notes all the time. And you know what? Sometimes those internship journals, five years, six years, seven years down the road, are the things that guide them because they wrote down there how God spoke to them about the season that they were about to walk into. And then they're in the season that they walked into. And they go back and they read and say, no, I can't do this or I can't do that because I already wrote this. I wrote it down. They would literally write the word of God on the door frames of their house to give them accountability to what they believe. So we have to create a habit. We've got to create a system and we have to create an environment. Psalm 71 verse 18, it says, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. This is, the psalmist is saying that my job is to make sure that the next generation knows about my God. You know, as the more, and I'm getting older, and as my boys are getting older, I'm realizing the importance of not just raising good boys, but raising them to know and to carry the Word of God in their lives. We need a resurrection of the Word of God in the church of Jesus Christ. We need a resurrection of the Word of God in fathers all over the world that says my one purpose is not just to raise up a kid that can go to Harvard. My purpose is to make sure that the word of God is in his heart because he might be able to get a good job and make a lot of money but if he doesn't have the word he will not carry on the legacy that God has for his life we need the word of God we need the word of God you cannot duplicate what you are not you can teach what you know but you reproduce who you are so let me just give a challenge to dads for a minute. If you got to teach it, you have to eat it. If, if you're going to teach it, you've got to consume it. They got to see you reading it. They got to hear you talking about it. They got to hear you. They got to see you creating a habit. They got to see you creating an environment. The other day I was getting ready to preach somewhere and I was watching the boys and I had to put them to bed before I went and Jamie was gone somewhere and so I was multitasking. I'm trying to prepare as I'm, as I'm trying to put them to bed and so we have a little nightly routine that we do and they pray and, and um, it's, it's interesting hearing them pray. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, they always throw in little random things that are hilarious and, and uh, so we're in there and um, so I turned on my worship music because... Like, I'm trying to, I'm about to go preach. I'm just trying to get in the zone. I'm getting prayed up, and I'm multitasking. And uh, so they're doing their night, little nightly routine. They're reading their books, and I'm just praying, and I'm worshiping. And I didn't think anything of it. I just was doing what I do. I was giving myself to the repetition that I normally do. So last night, this last night, I'm getting them ready for bed, and Jamie's out of town at a, at a wedding shower for her sister. And, and so, so I, I was getting ready for bed, and, and um, we're up there. And so I go through the nightly routine, and Jews says, Dad, wait. I said, what? He says, you forgot to worship. I said, oh. I turned on the worship music. And I'd like to tell you the rest of the story was like him, like, worshiping. But he likes to dance to the worship. So he's, like, interpretive, interpretive dancing. I'm like, our church is crazy, but it's not that crazy. You're going to have to find a crazier church to go do that dancing in. He's dancing around. But something clicked in me. He saw me do it. 
He heard me do it. And then he told me, Dad, don't you don't forget to worship. You gotta give yourself to a repetition, to a home environment that pulls this thing from your children. But you know what? When you pull it from them, they'll pull it from you. It works in tandem with one another. I, I told my boys something that my dad taught me, and this is like a little motto that we have. My dad, we have five kids. My dad used to tell me all the time, and because we had always, you know, you can imagine with five kids, the questions that he would get. We get in the car, like, where are we going? When are we going there? When are we going to get there? Are we going to get something to eat? You know, and he's just like, so, so he just made like a motto, and he said, stop. He said, what did I tell you? And then we would all recite in unison, daddy will always take care of us. And we knew it. We recited it. We said it, and we trusted it because he showed it. So I've started this with my boys. The other day, they're both, you know, saying, well, you know, whatever, and they want food, and one wants macaroni, and one wants pizza, and, and we don't have either, and, you know, it's getting crazy. I'm like, Jamie, you need to come home now. And, 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 and I say, stop. I say, hey, what do I always tell you? And they both say, Daddy will always take care of us. And you know what? I just hope that I can continually be not just someone that gives care, but someone that imparts word. The, the, wor the word of God. If you fall in love with this book, people can say it's old-fashioned. People can say this is an archaic teaching. This doesn't meet up with 2017 politically correctness. They can say whatever they want. 25 years, when you're still standing strong, and your kids are serving Jesus, they'll come back in whatever year that is because things will change by then. But you know what doesn't change? Do you know what will never change? The Bible says this word will never change. It says that my Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is timeless. This is precious. This is the word of our God. This is his love letter to us. This is his document straight to your life. This is our manual for living. This is the inspired word of God. And it is alive.